Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Omar Yehia. Omar Yehia is a research partner at C-Square Ventures, a company that takes a chain agnostic approach, making early stage investments across all major layer one and layer two ecosystems. He is also a managing partner and co-founder of Prudentia Digital, with previous teams at Arrington Capital, Burke Nanotechnology Center, Maurice J. Sucro Laboratories, and Princeton ExxonMobil affiliates at Princeton University. In this episode, Stefan and Omar discuss structural inflation, better government models, and axioms to live by. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, Stefan here. Super excited to be back. And today we just wrapped up a call, but with Omar Yehia, amazing contributor and 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 participant at C squared. Um, lots of intellectual background. Um, super knowledgeable. Super uh, experienced, and lots of different uh, concepts, ideas, and exposure that he's had in his career. We just went straight into it and chatted. So. I hope you enjoy the show. Um, yeah, it was super fun. I enjoy it. And by the way, that's how we have our calls all the time. And I love talking with investors, smart people, game changers that are always having new ideas and are challenging the existing, you know, the, the, the what do you call it? I don't know. They just challenge the status quo. No, I, I just wanted to continue because some of this is probably going to be useful um the the running joke on zero hedge is that like uh central banks yeah uh using the futures market and then the reserve sort of manipulate the uh, the price of gold and things like that and that's sort of in cahoots with like the bis and things like that so the running joke is like whenever there are big moves in the price of um in the price of uh, spot or future gold they will go on the Bloomberg terminal and like see like, oh, you know, Benoit's off to lunch or something or he's not available. <laughs> and that's why, you know, there's these big moves. This is like a, this is a running joke because it has been on for like a few years. But uh, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it was so funny. I was down in uh, Basel. So I get there and, and they have this huge, I've never been to their building, right? And it's like right downtown in the heart of Basel. They have this huge land, this huge building, and it's it's a you know sanctioned no nation land, right? So if you on that property, it's like a consulate, right? It has no jurisdiction, no no regulation, no nothing. It's just its own land. And what I also found out is that everybody working at the BIS, they don't pay any tax. No oh, tax. Really? No tax. So it's like Oh, everybody should pay tax. Everybody has to be taxed, you know. And this is, because, tax. this is because you work? Because you <laughs> because work, you it's work. not a resident thing. Yeah, you're not a resident huh. of no country. Your income is in no country. You don't, you don't pay tax on it. And apparently the UN is the same. And so I no, no wonder either. all of these guys are <laughs> staying with the same jobs for 35 years. I mean, the guys are in the job for, I mean, who has a job for the same job for 35 years at the same yeah. company? I mean... That sounds like a great gig. <laughs> it's like no wonder they never want to leave. That's you know, it's like incentive enough not to leave. Anyway, it's like super. But we were talking to them about the trueflation, right? They wanted to know what is right. with trueflation. I like the data; it's really interesting. And the first question is, which federal does the Fed subscribe to your data? It's like, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> which Fed uses which Fed creates your data? It's like, well, actually, nobody. We create independently. And it was, uh, yeah, and so they actually did have some ideas and suggestions who we should be talking to, and you should actually talk to this guy and that guy, and once you get one of them to endorse you, then we might have a look at endorsing you and, and distributing your information and stuff like that, so we'll see. But I'm sure, I'm sure that they have their own sort of infrastructure, especially because oh. they deal a lot with, like, you know, commodity pricing and things like that, so they They're must have their own internal infrastructure. They have a huge apparatus, right? I mean, they have a really big team. They have a, I mean, the office is ginormous and it's so hard to get in there. You need your passport. It's worse than going through immigrations at an airport, you know, into another country, you know, it's like to get through there apparently. So you always meet outside. So they're like 
two co- there's a coffee shop and a restaurant. So that's where they always have lunch and dinner with their people. And that's where you go and have a coffee meeting with them. And it's always the same people. That, you know, so it's like none of the meetings are held in the building unless it's like a formal, you know, sort of, I don't know, session. It was super funny. <laughs> so what, what did they think of just like the premise of Truflation? Yeah, they here's, really like thought... here's an institution that's been here's an institution that's been working with government agencies to collect you know the pretty much every single structured piece of economic data for a very long time, and they have their own workflow, they have their own schemas, and then you come along and you say, hey, FYI, like this is how we're going to do business from now on. So what what do they think? I mean, you know, they were, they were then intrigued. What, 18 million items? You track 18 million items? How do you do that? You know, what's, why do you need 18 million items? So they wanted to go into all the details and find pieces of places where they could sort of, you know, sort of hook into us. Um, what, what sources did you use, right? Immediately asking, where do you get your data from? And then I told them all the different types of sources we have, how we do it, the partnerships with universities. And so every time you could see a barrier drop down, right? So the wall got lower and lower and lower. And then the a second beer later, it started, started to be much more free flowing, right? Um, so it was like pretty open. But the, the bad, the, 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 I mean, definitely the alarm bells went up first. Um, but actually, they seem. And then I asked them, "What, what, what, what do you do in blockchain? Right? What's what's your initiative?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, you know, we look at this, but it's, it's not really that important to us. You know, it's like this decentralized stuff. We don't know how that works. You know, it's all going to come to a centralized e- ecosystem at some point. Everybody's got egos, and which on the one hand made sort of somewhat sense, but I mean, on the other hand, sort of still." Um, they don't really believe in decentralization, that's for sure. And what they really care well, about the, is CBD. Decentralization right? is one thing, but what yeah. about uh, transparency? What about this idea of just like straight up accountability, right? I mean, they ask yeah. the, the sort of question like, you know, which Fed uses your data? And this is sort of like the, the joke, right? Um, so what do, think about, what do they think about that? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't ask them that specifically. Um, but I, we did, I did mention, look, like everything is transparent on the bar. And they were worried about all these crooks using it. There's all this money laundering. There's no KYC. So that was right off the bat, right? It's like, this bad. I was like, hang on. It's not that bad. Look, okay. There are all these, all these wallets that are blacklisted. So you can't deal with these. These are the OFAC wallets that nobody has. Look, there's a, look let me show you this website where you can go and see. Here, look, here's the sites. Look, you can see the wallets climbing all the time. These are the ones we do not interact with. They don't know. No touch wallets, right? So we know those. And those are all transparent. And look, let me show you. And they show them a block explorer of a wallet. Here's my address. You can see exactly what's in my wallet. Oh, wow. This is interesting. You know, it's like, really, they didn't know that. You know, it's like, they just thought everything's yeah, black. Like, everything's bad. Unfortunately, a lot of the critiques that come sort of from the outside, and, and you know, this is, this is true of other spaces as well, but they just happen to be like, you know, they magnify the, literally the, the smallest point of critique, and that sort of becomes the... Uh, it becomes a status quo and it's just odd because like 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 you said a simple google search will sort of reveal otherwise but again i'm not forget the kyc forget even the transaction like the ability to like transact and send money anything like that just the concept of like we're going to do exactly what we were doing today as an institution just transparently like you're going to see us update the numbers you're going to see the methodology you're going to see sort of how robust this data is you can go essentially verify it for yourself it, this really doesn't speak decentralization at all in fact it, it in many ways it's just a, a centralized entity with a transparent book so what about that as a start or because it, it, there's something about transparency and this is this is like more prevalent in like emerging markets there's something about transparency that um eventually leads to accountability yeah yeah. yeah, so they're they're miles away from that, right? They have no interest. So they use words like gatekeepers. You have to work with the mm. gatekeepers first, and then you have really? it's a close. We launch it in a closed environment first, right? So it's all very closed, and then they open it up slowly to selected parties, right? And so it's like really, it is an old boy smoky room filled, you know, men, men uh, of people that make decisions and. They do want to be more women, um, so that that they did expose, right? They want, 
Um, and, and so they wanted to be more diverse, but they do like diversity. So they did talk about that. As, but I felt that was more of PC, the transparency and definitely they're miles away from that. Um, they, they, they know everything better. They want to be able to do the decisions on their own um, for sure. They're the smartest so, guys in so, the room. What is their incentive structure, do you think? Like, who do they report to? They're the they central... They don't do anything. They're the central bank of central bankers, right? <laughs> so it's like, who do they report to? They they consult their central bank partners and listen to them. And and to be honest, it's the... I, I mean, very clearly you hear the U.S. dictates a lot of their policies. The Chinese dictate a lot of their policies. And then sort of a bit of the Europeans and the Japanese, and that was sort of pretty much it. And in Europe, it's the Germans. They didn't really listen. The UK is now, oh, man, they're out part, and they're not a part of us anymore. They, you know, they don't want to be a part of this big apparatus. They want to do their own thing. And it was like really, it was just, anyway, yeah, interesting. I, um, yeah, I did not get the feel that they report to anybody. It's, they try to create markets is what they say. And they wait till the markets are significantly big before they really engage in it. Right. And blockchain to them is still a tiny pet peeve project. It's too small. And when we talked about, they like the ESG or they don't like to call it ESG because that word is now a bad word because everybody, you know, it's just been abused. People and, lost, people lost yeah. mo- no, because people lost money on it. <laughs> like most things. Oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. In terms of how did they lose uh, money? Maybe, like, it? if you look at uh, a, a like a report came out recently. Yeah. One of the uh, I won't mention which one, but you could probably guess one of the bigger endowments, university endowments, that severely underperformed. And as the the headline, it was because of the uh, the pursuant to ESG mandates. Where the I mean, you as a as a manager, you have a fiduciary duty to the endowment to make the money not to follow some uh, almost arbitrary mandate. Uh, exactly. And so, so all of a sudden now this isn't a great idea. Well, also like, you know, any of these fun, like uh, uh, index products that do like ESG investing, they yeah. just got absolutely murdered. So, yeah. 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 Also what is, you know, what is, you know, how do you environment, you, you can't really track. I mean, everybody says, Oh, environmental. So, but nobody has a common, and denominator of what is the environment and how do you track that? So everybody's got their own sort of interpretation. There's no free market around environment. Social, I mean, what is social? How do you calculate social and, and, and track that, right? Uh, you comply with minimum wages. Is that social? And so we were talking about that. Then governance. Yeah, I mean, you know, what is, you know, in, in theory, if it's free governance, it should be perfect. If it's decentralized, everybody can work from home and do what they want. That's perfect, right? It's like, oh, no, 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 but we have to come to the office because we need to be centralized, right? So like, it was, yeah, and then I don't know if you've seen that NYU University. There's a, the professor at NYU. He did a, a good on code. I think it was Recode or the Code Conference. He did a 15-minute presentation on ESG. And he broke it down. And basically, you know, it's all the good candidates for ESG are big multinationals. And all the small companies like a Patagonia or, you know, they don't fit in the the equation. They're not good. They're bad. You know, they're bad ESG scores. And he figured out it was all because they paid big money to big auditors to do the ESG compliance reports that were 100 pages. And he then asked, so what is, how does your checklist work? What, what is the scoring that you do? And none of them could give him a consistent report as to, oh, but you say this is important, but I look in this report, they scored really high, and this is the statement that you gave in there. And oh, ooh, yeah, oops, uh, yeah. And so he couldn't find any consistency in anything that was done. And so he just blew up the whole ESG naming. Oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> we're going to add to that. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen prospectuses of uh, like a, pr- a prospectus of a fund uh, that does ESG, and their biggest position was Exxon Mobil. And I have, I mean, I have nothing yeah. at Exxon Mobil. They're an, an enormously <laughs> profitable company, and and you know, it's a hallmark of American yeah. enterprise. Yeah. But how did that happen? How did you go full circle from <laughs> and saying you want to do ESG to like your biggest position is is Exxon Mobil? So. 
It's crazy. Yeah, there, there was another company just, that was. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it goes to show when 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 you, you know, when when you are a fund manager or you're responsible for you know managing any sort of capital and your your objectives uh, are different than that of your investors and it's not clear what it is that you're trying to do exactly and there's no clear performance metrics, um, any outcome is justifiable. Whether it's positive outcome or negative outcome, you just have like under, like, you know, in maths, under constrained problems have infinitely many solutions that can satisfy them. And that, that's sort of the same. I think the issue with, with a lot of the ESG investing is it's just a lot of moving at the goalpost, unconstrained problems. So you're able to essentially invest in anything and yep. then justify it uh, in a way retroactively, which, yeah. you know, from, again, from the perspective of a fiduciary, it's just, it's almost abhorrent, yeah. but um, it's, it's the world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah, but that, that then goes to the point. So any argument you make, you can back quantify that argument and back justify that argument with any kind of science and metrics. You just shift the variables around accordingly, right? And the weighting. Again, uh, like a, an, a poorly posed problem with not enough constraints on what the nature of the solution has to be, it means you can get an infinite set of solutions. Yeah. Will, will equally satisfy the problem, which is not a situation that you want, right? That's a useless yeah. set of solutions. If I tell you, hey, you have a problem and I have an infinite set of solutions that satisfy the problem, then you've given me nothing. You give me everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, you're coming back to sort of trueflation and that's what my argument with him was, look, we, we, we're really transparent. You can go to the website today and you can see the waiting. And we only published the waiting today because we're still you know, sort of in the early days, but what we do for every single category, we have a scientific plotting of all the data that we have. We then have a rating of the data that we have that then leads to the weighting of that specific category across all the things. And what we want to do is disclose all of that. So then ultimately everybody can debate on the data plotting itself and finding the best correlation and then ultimately rate that and, and, then all of a sudden the debate becomes much more, I don't know, I mean, hopefully you can actually have a debate again. Maybe let's put it like that, right? And you can then say you're plotting, your, your correlation curve is not quite right and stuff like that. And, and more importantly, the fact that we talk about inflation uh, in general or, the, or, yeah. or, you know, really we're talking about the increase in the level of prices. Um, and I, I make the distinction because inflation has a textbook definition of inflation just means the expansion of the money supply yeah. that leads to higher prices. But then people just say, people just like use them interchangeably. But anyway, the, the issue is it cannot, it's not a single number, right? It's a distribution and that distribution yeah. affects different people differently. Right. I mean, you and I have, you know, live in different geographies. We have, you know, completely oh. different lives. So to say that there's single number, Sort of even in even in a single country like the United States, even yeah. to say that it yeah. it's, it represents everybody's um, essentially increased or decreased cost of uh, living uh, is absurd, right? You sort of have to yeah. you sort of have to make it very clear so that people can use this data to you know, plan their lives. Like the whole point of of any sort of economic data and prices in general is that you can make like future planning and future prediction. So how can you do that with out an extremely uh, robust and granular framework for trying to determine what the cost of, of, of uh, goods and services are. And just to talk about these headline numbers of core CPI or whatever, I mean, that's, that's sort of nonsensical. You're looking at one particular moment of a distribution, whereas you should really be trying to um, tease out all of the details of the distribution, make it clear to everyone, and then have people use that to, to, to sort of, you know, plan their, their financial lives. And, you know, it, it, high prices in one, it's, it, high prices are bad for consumers, but they're good for producers, right? And yeah. producers are, are people as well, right? Yeah. Like for some, you know, we can't discount the fact that the people who produce these things, it's good for them. And so when I yeah. say inflation in general is a bad thing for the consumer, right? But, yeah. but for the producer, benefits in some way so there has to be a clear distinction between okay what is my utility profile what is my consumption profile as an individual as a business as an institution as a nation as a 
um, as a let's say even a continent or a, yeah. a, a, a set of United Nations, and all of these things they have different consumption characteristics and different utility profiles. So we can't just talk about inflation data as just this one thing or this one number. There has to be a real serious discussion of how of how we think about inflation data in general. And the first yeah. place to start is having transparency and a clear and robust infrastructure for outlining that data. What's your view? Just sort of, you know, we talk a lot about structural inflation right now, right? And so I think inflation's here for a longer period of time. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon, particularly not with the deglobalization that's happening and the infrastructure changes, war, energy pipelines, etc. You look at all of that. What is your view in terms of a healthy, you know, it is is a con if you know, my view has always been if we know inflation is going to be at 8% and it's always at 8%, we can deal with that. What we can't deal with is not having the tooling, not knowing the uncertainty that, and, and is it going to be inflation? It's going to be deflation. It's going to be stagflation. Is it going to be whatever, you know? So it's like, I got all these parameters and I can't manage that. That's what's hurting us right now. Right? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, the, the yeah. determination of the overall level of prices is, fundamental to the economic calculation problem. I have resources yeah. today and I need to use them to develop something that has more value than it does today to, pr to produce yeah. things over the span of months, years, decades, right? <laughs> that's called, that's in economics, the famous econo like economic planning problem. The, yeah. At the heart of it is knowing or be able to predict the general price level of things. And so, like you said, it's, it's not really what the number is. We can deal with any number so long yeah. as uh, it is relatively predictable. Yeah. Um, my, my, personally, my view on this idea of structural inflation, it, it, it comes down to like essentially two things. One is what currency we're talking about. So essentially what, you know, yeah, what is going true. on with the money supply, yeah. with the money supply of that currency. And two, what is the productivity that is surrounding the central issue of that currency, right? Every there, as you know, outside of obviously crypto, all uh, uh, circulating currencies come are sovereign. So they come from yeah. sovereign nations. There, there, there's no proliferation of private money. That's sort of the point yeah. of crypto. Outside of you know BTC, ETH, and all that. So most, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of all circulating money is public money. And public money means it originates from a central bank somewhere or a pseudo central bank. Uh, and it mean it means that the the productivity that we're talking about that sort of counteracts this structural increase in the money supply it refers to national productivity, and the the change in the money supply just essentially refers to the fiscal policy of well the, the fiscal and monetary policy of the sovereigns. So it's, it's sovereign. you know it, it doesn't require a, a PhD in economics to determine like oh if the if the productivity is flat or if it's going down in most nations, and the money supply is expanding. Uh, dramatically, you know, uh, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Yeah. But there are interesting dynamics that are non-trivial once we start talking about particular currencies, because the United States, for example, um, it does not represent, let's say, eighty or ninety percent of the world's productivity. That's just not true. Yeah. But the majority of debt in the world is denominated in U.S. dollars. US dollar. So all of a sudden, there's an asymmetry. Asymmetry yeah. in the productivity of, of the United States and how much demand there is for the U.S. dollar. There is much, much more demand in the U.S. dollar than what is justified purely by economic output in the United States. So it must mean there's something else. There's a premium to the dollar of the United States. And that, that, that is very path dependent and it has to do with the, the monetary history of the United States starting from the 1940s and onwards. Um, so when we talk about the other thing, nuance in general, when we talk about inflation is inflation of what, uh, uh, like, which economy are we talking about and how is it interchanged? And that's generally why it's so difficult. So the United States for a long time has been able to sustain an increased, uh, um, uh, an increase in the money supply of the U.S. dollar without affecting internal price levels. And the reason for that is there is demand uh, outside of the United States that was able to absorb a lot of it. And whether, yeah. whether it has to do with treasuries, whether it has to do with dollar-denominated debt in general, 
this meant that you could have what looked like an increase in the economic output or the productivity of the United States, even though it wasn't. The demand was sort of external, which is fine, right? That, that there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. The problem is when another when another uh, uh, sovereign nation tries to do this and it doesn't share the same hegemony. Its currency doesn't share the same hegemony as the United States dollar. So yeah. all of a sudden, uh, you know, the best example of this is like is like a emerging markets: Zimbabwe, Argentina, Brazil, yeah. these sort of countries. Um, uh, they've had many bouts of inflation for exactly that reason. The second you you know yeah. you turn on the spigot and you don't have a commensurate increase in productivity or demand for your currency, you get this runaway prices. And this has been you know the story of time. This uh, uh, there are documented stories of this happening in, in ancient Rome. Um, now whether that changes i think it becomes the question of what is what is the coalition of nations uh, of essentially first world nations going to do about the fact that the global debt uh, is extraordinarily high and yeah. much higher than what could be reasonably deflated away with increases in productivity including in the united states so the question is what do we do now do does the cost of capital go like just vertically upwards and then you have exactly and then you have um sort of wide widespread defaults in terms yeah. and everything from small businesses to um, um like major sovereign nations or does the does the party go on and this was just a, a mild you know intermission and does, does, does the party go on? and and if the the latter is something that we're experienced in. The majority of our lifetimes, we've lived in a regime, economic regime, where the party yeah. was, you know, phenomenal, absolutely. Going phenomenal. from one party to and the next, and we have a hangover every time, every couple of ten years. Oh, we or something. we <laughs> didn't we didn't even have to go anywhere. Like people were coming to us, they were bringing the booze, they were bringing. It was just fantastic, right? This was tw- post. It was really this is like post the Alan Greenspan era. It yeah. was fantastic. One big, one big uh, party. But the question is. Like what, you know, what in a, a in a regular party, right? What determines uh, when the party stops? Um, usually, and when who? the cops show up, they they yeah yeah. yeah. And who? It's usually the yeah and usually the cops, cops, right? Yeah, At yeah. some point, it becomes unsustainable, <laughs> and somebody shows up on the door saying, "Hey, listen, you've had your fun. We got to stop now. This is unsustainable." Yeah. And the question is, when does that happen? Yeah. And is there is there a, an authority? or a pseudo-authority that is able to sort of do this. And that pressure, obviously, I, I can't imagine there's some sort of extraterrestrial authority that's going to come in and do this. It's, it's, it's going to be a combination of a civil response and um, just w- widespread yeah. uh, economic downturns, right? But the I cannot predict, and I, I'm suspicious that anybody else can, but I think the problem here is that you also have a misalignment of incentives between the people that get to decide what monetary and fiscal policies are and um, the people who get to suffer the consequences. The best, it, example yeah, exactly. is, the, the best example is you gave at the sort of beginning of, of uh, our conversation when you were like, well, you know, these people who say everybody should pay taxes, well, it turns out none of them pay any taxes. So it's, it's easy... <laughs> Easy for you to say, right? So there's the same thing. You have people that are elected, most of whom, some of people elected into office, most of whom are appointed by yeah. those elected into office for fixed time periods. Um, and the result of the policies that they institute are typically not seen for years to come. So there is this structural delay between you know, the input and then the output. And so it's hard in general for people to say, well, to have accountability you know, if you see the if you see the um, the problem, you know, ten years before, and then the output or the sort of the the, the um, negative outcomes come ten years later, well, it's hard to go back in time and hold people, re- you know, retroactively but, accountable. But that's such a big problem that we encounter right now, right? I mean, it's like an an occurrence that happened a year, six months ago, you know. We got to go study that, right? So we go and study that. Six months later, we figured out what it is. And then, oh, now we need to make a recommendation based on that report. Okay, so we go and make a recommendation on that report. And that's another six months. And then we have to debate the recommendations. We negotiate that. And a year and a half later, 
okay, now I think we have something we agree on. But of course, all the tooling, all the technology, all the services, everything's already changed because the whole market has already studied it, learned it, and done because of market and supply and demand needs. We've adapted and changed our whole policy and are living in a whole different world by the time you've come out with something that enforces a rule that is way too out of date. You know, it's like, is, I don't know, we... we so- how do we get to a better governance model or a faster, better tools to adapt to this new and framework, right? And maybe we... So, the, I, like, I struggle, I struggle with this idea personally because I just don't see a solution on the horizon that does not yeah. include uh, um, an uprise of the government. So, the, uh, there's the same thing. Okay. The, you know, the government derives its power from the consent of the governed. And so yeah. long as the government continues to consent... I think just the, the the mischief continues. Yeah. So there has to be there has to be accountability on the local level, and there has to be accountability. Of, <laughs> well, people just asking, like, you know, what what are you doing? I mean, it, yeah. uh, when it, you know you're you're raising that, let's say, in a, in a particular country, you're raising the debt ceiling. Yeah. You're, you're you are increasing fiscal spending. The central bank is increasing the money supply. What is going on? What's going and on? And this does not see, yeah, this does not seem even in the first world. Uh, this does not seem to be like a like a common household uh, um, discussion. But it used to be. Um, yeah. um, I mean, in Britain, in the United States, like these used to be discussions that people had. Um, now, no longer. I am, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why that's the case. But the just the general populace does not seem to have, or there's a separation between the misery of the many and the decisions of the few there is there are some cases in which you can have clear uh, identifiable positions for example let's say a politician takes a country into war like yeah. full scale war yeah. which we, we've had a, a couple of those recently oh really? um, yeah that you can, <laughs> that you can say you can say well clearly this is a problem because of what you did but in many cases it is um it is not as clear as to what led to this, uh, what led to the problem, and so again, you just don't have this sort of local accountability. And whether that changes over time, I, I'm just not sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I mean, you, you see these these just different elements, and and so one one argument, so just thinking through that, right, is we we. In the past, we always had these two sort of types of model, right? There was communism and then there was democracy, right? And so there was this constant battle. We had the Cold War, which is right, ours well, is wrong. you know, yeah. the c- c- capitalism in general, the idea of like central planning versus you know, yeah, the market. But, but either way, you know, in the end, democracy won and it extended the life of democracy. But I think we've come to an end of democracy. I mean, capitalism, I think, Crypto has been the form of capital. It's been brutal, right? I mean, it's like, it's really survival of the fittest. It's super hardcore. It's, it's, it's challenging, but it's been a new, a prosperous, emerging opportunity where everybody that participated was very small community, but it grew so fast that everybody grew with it. So a lot of participants became wealthy out of that, but it created a lot of opportunity. And that has created the capitalistic framework and it's been, it's fallen on its face. There's, there's been scams, you know, there's, you know, it, it, it's hard, but as a result, you fall down, you, 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 you stand up again and you learn to walk and you learn, walk a hell of a lot better for that afterwards. Right. Because hopefully you won't fall down doing the same mistake again, tripping over those same feet. I don't know, but, and then at the same time, you look at democracy, right? Every time there's an election, there's all of a sudden handouts. I want the party to continue because if the party doesn't continue under my rule, then I don't get voted in again. And so I, I, I you know, print more money. Come on, just print Un- more money, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately, the, uh, the response, again, should come from the government. The government should say, yeah. Listen, I have, I'm not, I'm in dire straits right now, but the way to solve this, you know, I'm struggling, but the way to solve this is not to print money and give it to me because that will only cause, you know, problems down the line. Let me drink the, or take the sour medicine now 
and we may have a chance of like healing in the future. But if you continue to get, you know, it, this is the, the, well, I, I, I don't want to like, but okay, you know the answer to, to that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do I want the alcohol exactly. or do I want the beer or do I want the cake exactly. with the icing on it or do I want, oh man, dude, the hard raw bread that has been stale, been there for three days. I mean, I'm going to go for the cake with the icing on it, right? Yeah. And so in, in the end, you get this idea that the in a, in a democracy in general, the we've seen historically that the people get the government that they, they deserve. I mean, there's yep. no... In most democracies around the world, um, the people that are elected into office and the people are appointed to office, they didn't get in, like they didn't stumble into the office. They certainly didn't like take it by force. These That's people true. were let in through the front door, right? Yeah. And yeah. They, are, they are there lawfully and performing pretty much what people expected them to do. So like, there's no, it's really just a, an incentive problem, right? Yeah. It's really the, uh, you put these you put these people into place and then you complain about their lack of efficacy, I argue they're doing exactly what exactly. they should be doing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so and, somebody said... It's, it's, it's hard to say... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Pink Floyd... Somebody highlighted me. There's a Pink Floyd song called Complacently Numb or something like that, right? So it's like, we're just... Yeah, we're, we're happy and, and we just want to be ignorant about it. We don't want to really, you know... We're happy to tweet about it because that allows us... Or we complain about it at dinner table... But when it comes to actually doing something about it, it's a very different game. It is possible to do something about it. And it's why, yeah. like, when, you know, if you look at the history of the the United States, like, the United States was never a democracy when it was yeah. founded. I mean, the, 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 the father of the Constitution of the United States, when he, when he wrote it, and he, then he wrote the Federalist Papers to describe it um, uh, to, to the state of New York. He never mentions the word democracy. Never mentioned it once. But he talks yeah, about the true. American Republic, right? Yeah. yeah. He talked. Yeah, and and you know the 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 if you the Pledge of Allegiance in the United States refers to the Republic for which it stands. So yeah. there is a, an inherent structure of accountability that doesn't exist in a democracy, and that was the foresight by the American founding fathers to institute a republic. And um, when people have asked, like Benjamin Franklin. What, you know, what have you given us, Mr. Franklin? He was very clear. He said, a republic, if you can keep it, knowing how difficult it is to it have to a republic in place because it, it requires this self-discipline. It requires prolonging reward and, and suffering in the short term in order to benefit in the long term. Ideas that don't, are not necessarily commensurate with a democracy. When people say, I want this right now and I want, you know, free money or I want whatever it is. And then people come in that are not accountable to anyone who will give that to you in order to remain in office. This is not the Republic, um, um, that people imagined. So again, I, it fundamentally comes down to incentive structures. Yeah. When, when you look at the incentive structures, right? I mean, so people that get elected in have, and are very keen to ensure that, the people that elect them are incentivized to elect them versus others, right? And ultimately, they may make promises that stretch their capabilities. Um, and it's up to us to believe whether they can fulfill those promises and they're not, you know, stretch goals or are they in attainable or are they just, you know, smoking another another pipe or something? And then on the I flip side, yeah. No, no. I, the only thing I'm going to say about this, I think the the problem needs to be inverted. Like the the government should not expect the government to do many things. It, it should be the opposite, right? The yep. the government yep. should expect to do most things. They most of the things. That the, 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 yeah, the powers of the government to be few and defined, and to be restricted to to in its majority to maintaining their liberties, the rights and freedoms to protect those that are owed to. Uh, the government, um, but that's it. The, everything else, when it comes to enterprise, when it comes to trade, all of that should be delegated to, or should be left to the local congregation of people, whether it's in municipalities, states, whatever. There should no, there at least in the American uh, Republican idea, there was never this. There was never this thinking of there is this large government that's going to do things for us and we're going to elect people and they're going to work on our behalf 
and we're, we're beholden to them. And they sort of like every four years we have to like go out and like vote for who gives us what. This was never envisioned. It was mostly there's going to be a small governing body <laughs> from yeah from yeah, the people yeah. that have already produced. There used to be these like you know norms that like you had yeah. to you, uh, to be involved in the government of the United States. You yourself had to be a productive entrepreneurial person who who's yeah. already had some success in the past because you understand what it is that you need to protect to ensure yeah. that everybody else can also have in, in this sort of a prosperity. And instead, it, the model was completely inverted, where you had this, where in most, con- I mean, essentially in every country in the world, you have this enormous government that takes care of everything, is involved in healthcare, is involved in education, is involved in the regulation of money, is involved in um, pretty much anything you can think of. Um, where it's like, wow, this was not, the, this was really not what we were trying to do here. This was sort of the opposite. So... Once yeah. the government take ownership of this and decide enough is enough and think I need, you know, if it is to be, it is up to me. I need to be the, um, the captain of my own ship and I need to be able to structure my life in, so that the majority of the outcomes are up to me or up to my immediate environment as opposed to uh, relying heavily on this benevolent benefactor known as the federal government. Um, once you move away from that, then, then I think you begin to see local prosperity. And local prosperity protects itself by generating more prosperity if left alone and then generating a lot of misery if interfered with. To me, it's, 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 we're going in the opposite direction, right? I mean, if you look at the at, at governments around the world, particularly in a lot of the Western world and anywhere, it, it they've just become bigger and bigger. I think to an extent where even in France, maybe every fifth worker or every fifth contributor to the com- country is actually employed in some form or fashion via the government. And so you look at that. So all of a sudden, I'm I'm up for election. I want to get voted. Where do I go? I mean, I. Uh, the government officials, so the bureaucrats, these departments, are all my constituents that I have to get votes from. So your employees are voting for you. And if I say, oh, we're going to have job cuts, we're going to streamline government, we're going to have this beautiful lean framework, oh, but all these people. So all the government, if I'm, if I'm in charge, I want to hire as many people into government roles as possible and give them job security for whatever the rest of, and pay rises and whatever so that I get reelected at every time. And if it's 30% of the population, then wow, I'm going to get voted in. I mean, you know, who's, who's going to compete against me, right? Uh, that's right. Of course, you want everybody to sort of fall under your purview. And, yeah. and you know, that, um, <laughs> if you pay their salaries... Right, you. I mean, these people will see whatever you want them to see, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and again, and they will just, do everything it, to it, protect what 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 the, you know their, that whole institution. Of right? course, we're all gonna fight. Of course, them because you're you're their benefactor. So why why would the game? <laughs> yeah. So again, it it should it, the idea is not. To, to expand the reach of government and to ask it to interfere and be responsible for everything. But the opposite, again, this, this has now become common thought. If you walk up to any, like a random person in any Western nation and ask them what the role of government should be, the majority of people will likely say that it should be involved in employment. It should be involved in um, you know, guaranteeing minimum levels of uh, sustainable wage. It should be involved yeah. in education. It should be involved in healthcare. None of these things are related to the functions of government at all. Yeah, like the, these are all they all fall within the purview of private enterprise. Probably, yeah. Like the yeah, the, the and like since the dawn of time, the private market has given us everything. Yeah, uh, centralized governments have given us very few things and like the 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 best example if you look at if you look at um i i guess this is relevant for for trueflation there's this famous chart that shows the increase uh and the or the like the price trajectory of 
different items uh computers healthcare yeah, yeah, education yeah, and, and used cars you must you must yeah. know that one yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah some yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and it's sort it's sort of you know some of them sort of go up dramatically and some of and a lot of them sort of go down and if you had to guess which ones are heavily regulated and heavily uh and the government is heavily involved in and which ones are much more left up to the the private market you'll see there's a very clear pattern if you just pull it up, yep. you'll see all the ones in which, at least in the United States, in which the government, healthcare, education, right? All, <laughs> all like these things are enormously, <laughs> enormously expensive. You look at like, you know, private computers, telephones, just things that are mostly produced by the private market. Damn. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but I think a lot of that also has benefited from this whole globalization, right? And the economies of scale, because I can take this telephone that I've invented and I can scale it around the world. I can bring down unit costs significantly associated with that item, right? Whereas healthcare, the argument is, oh, but it, healthcare doesn't scale exponentially, right? It's healthcare scales with the number of healthcare support I can do. But then you look at the breakdown of the costs in healthcare. That is not the case. The healthcare cost has grown from a bureaucracy perspective okay. and not necessarily from an employment perspective. The nurses and, and, and the doctors, they're all the same. You know, they've grown in terms of volume number and their salary hasn't grown significantly. Maybe those are specialized doctors, but in average, not really, right? No, and general purpose treatment has gotten yeah. enormously no. cheaper. And, yeah. and the only thing that, that people like quote has gotten expensive are things that you just couldn't do in the past. Yeah. Like with the exception of perhaps the brain and yeah. different, well, certain parts of the brain, you can pretty much operate with tremendous precision everywhere in the human body with tremendous success. Yeah. Like very, very high survival rates. You couldn't do that 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You couldn't even come close to that like 100 years ago. Yeah. So these are the only procedures that typically tend to be even more expensive. But if you look at general purpose care, it is from a, like an economic perspective, extremely cheap to do. Yeah. When it comes to like most generic medicines, most, you know, getting an x-ray, most operations, these things are tremendously cheaper than they were 20 years ago. There's like, this is a statement of fact. So the fact that you continued, if you walk in today uh, with an allergic reaction into an emergency room, you will be charged like thousands and thousands of dollars. And it just does not cost thousands and thousands of dollars for you to get, you know, Benadryl and a handshake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so true, but I think that's, we're in an age where we need new systems, new processes, and, and totally revamped new approaches to how we treat everything we're doing in an economy, right? I, I, I think we've just layered on old processes with, with, you know, with certain regulations, restrictions, and protections that are developed, you know, like, like inflation was developed 100 years ago. The framework is more than a century old before every household had electricity. You know, now every household has electricity and you're still measuring it on the same sort of metrics and foundations, right? Exactly. We moved to like digitizing everything yeah. without really trying to reinvent the primitives yeah. that are needed. I mean, yeah. for like the best example of this is, is the, just the, the, the secondary and tertiary educational system. I mean, for God's sake, you still have bells in schools that announce the end of the mini shift right i mean it reminds you of, yeah. of like a, a factory that's exactly what yeah, it was totally, right? totally like totally. You, you still have that and uh, you still have this idea like this idea that student i mean i i don't want to get too much into this but like if you look at secondary and tertiary education it is an in and this comes from someone who spent a lot of time in academia it is an enormous enormous waste of time like yeah. nothing wastes more time in uh, in a person's life i think than their educational pro or their schooling process rather it just enormous waste of time the opportunity cost like the, the fact that yeah, you even huge. have to the, the, like the fact like let's say you go to, to university in any major university in, yeah. in the west or even the east in general and to learn like uh let's say about uh computer science or economics or something like yeah. that it does not require four years of continuous study <laughs> to get an extremely basic education it just or, or it just does not you can do that in like a few months of like, just like, you know, pick up the textbook, sit at home, read it, think about it. Like 
you know, you have in, in your, in your palm or in front of you, an extraordinarily computation machine and data storage machine that has pretty much anything that you ever need. And the fact that you, need, you still need to go to spend four years in order to try and get an extremely basic schooling in these things, it's just ridiculous. Like things, have, think about what has changed in your life in four years with, you know, through constant grit and work, your life is just enormously different. Whereas from my experience, especially in the West, people go in at age 18, they go into university, they come out age 21, 22, none the wiser, sometimes dumber. So, And that's not only, you know, in some countries, it's they come out of university at 30 years old. And they've never had, I mean, you know, they've never had to work for a single dime. They've been studying, looking at books, chatting, philosophizing, which is great. But I mean, you know, uh, how costly is that to an economy? And then universities in those countries are slammed full. You know, it's not like just five people are doing that. It's you can't get a seat. You know, the classrooms are packed, right? It's like you have to sit on the stairs, you know, sort of. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Somehow we've convinced each other, ourselves and each other, that the only way to prosperity be, be or the way to prosperity begins with a prolonged uh, and frankly quite useless schooling process that involves eight hours a day of mostly like nonsensical because I, I still have all of the materials that I, you know, I had when I was younger. And, and, and so I would go over them and think, wow, like they spent a year schooling us in this, where this is something you could have gone over in like a couple of weekends. Couple of weekends. Like how, yeah, is it that like... you sp- how is it that you spent an entire year doing this? And if you tell people that you, you have four years, the, the, but they will take four they years. They will expand. Yeah, they'll take four years. Exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, famously in, uh, in in a lot of countries, including in the United States, when they had obviously during the war efforts, they had accelerated timelines. Like people yeah. needed you needed Air Force pilots, you needed people, you know, you needed people to go into the Marines and then the Army and things like that, um, and the Navy. And so you you had to accelerate these timelines. And you know, these people liberated Europe, right? And on on you know six months worth of education, right? So extremely hyper competent people were able to perform. So. What does that tell you, right? It tells you that I you, mean, could pro- you could probably shorten the, the duration of, uh, of education dramatically. I mean, what was it? There's, there's a famous quote going around. I can't remember who said it, but, you know, like you tell somebody to clean up their room in, in a day, they'll do it in a day. You tell them to do it, it in 30 day, minutes, yeah. they'll do it in 30 minutes, right? So it's like, yeah. it's, 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 it's to the grade of the, what the, is needed, right? It's... it's now, to, yeah, to some extent, yeah, the time it takes, even on our personal lives, the time yeah. it takes to complete a task, it, uh, you know, is proportional to how much time you've allotted to doing the task. Yeah, exactly. It's, so, um, and it's a deadline. So if I you've think, got a deadline, you'll finish it by that deadline. It may not be perfect. It may be into 80% of what you could do, but that, you know. But it's, it's good enough. It's good, it's enough, good to enough to get it out there and get yeah. the debate going, and then you can refine it, optimize it, tweak it, improve it you know, as you go along, but at least you've got a table stakes have been set. Yeah. But just yeah. on no, that I, note, I, I right? think, yeah. Yeah. No, go, no ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just trying to think, uh, you know, just going on on that. Right. So I look at, yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about improvements in, in technology, private entities versus, uh, you know, and in, uh, institutional entities, um, or, or governmental bodies. And you look at in the history, right? you, you had big companies that that you know foraged into new frontiers, right? And I didn't know this, but I found out yesterday that there are the companies, the founders of Wells Fargo, are the same founders of American Express. Yeah, that's right. And and, and which number one was baffling to me. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, but the other thing is, Wells Fargo hired Pinkertons. You know, so they hired their own police force to protectly move money on the stagecoaches around the U.S., right? I mean, they still have the stagecoach on their logo, right? So it's like... On the logo, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so they had to hire their own police. And I was just in New York, you know, and there, all the grocery stores, they have their own security forces, right? They don't rely on the police to protect them. So even the governments there have lost the ability to help and protect their constituents. I don't know. And then to me, are we moving to a world where I, it becomes private? Everything becomes a private enterprise, right? And what is, 
And so that then allows us to cut back on the government because they're much more efficient, right? Look at the securities that you go through when you go through an airport, government run. I mean, how many times do you have to take off the shoes all the time, right? You have to take off your belt. I mean, it's like, and they have these protections. I mean, is it really? When there's, you no, to- when there's, no, yeah. when there's no incentive to make money yeah. during a process, there is no incentive to improve the process. Yeah. You always use the minimum, like in, in free enterprise and private enterprise, you always use the most, you try and do the most efficient thing. You yep. try and reach the highest level of efficacy per unit time. And anything where profit is not a motive, you always do the minimum viable solution. Just yep. barely so that you can, you can in public say that you, you have you know, done work on it. And yep. the best example of this is you get... Um, and this is very, they're very popular in Western nations. You get people that were in private enterprise, the CEOs or uh, executives from extremely profitable private companies. P- they turn these companies around, turn them into money-making machines. Yeah. The second you take them and they, they you put them into government, and funny enough, like at least in in in, in big uh, multinational corporations in the United States, there is like an unspoken rule about there is a maximum sort of age limit above which you're not really supposed to be uh, uh, sort of an executive anymore because that's just not how the human body works. I'm sorry. That's, that's that, you know, that's a, fa- that's a biological <laughs> that's fact. A, yeah, okay. It's a biological fact. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah that's, but, so it's funny that their tenure ends <laughs> in private enterprise and it begins <laughs> in, pu- in, in governance. Okay. And, those same people that like literally turned around, I mean, pseudo nations, the yeah. corporate multinational, oh, like yeah, oil sure. corporations, these things, yeah. these, they have, I mean, some of them have higher credit ratings than, 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 the, than sovereigns. So, yeah. you know, these are mini nations, essentially. They've been able to turn them around, make them into a money making machine. The second you put them into the, the institutes of government, all of a sudden, like their productivity changes, their outlook changes. And it's because they've been put in a fundamentally different paradigm. Sir, here you were, you were supposed to report to your shareholders, shareholders and you're trying to make as much money as possible. Now you report to no one and you're trying to stay here as long as possible. Possible. It's just a, it's just a different paradigm. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really, yeah, it, it's funny how we go. And then also if you think about it, you know, a large portion in, in, in the cases where we invest in, the future generations for 30 years, right? So they go to university for 30 years, they've gone through the whole education and you build them up, right? Then they go into the workforce and then maybe they take 10 years to sort of integrate or t- or longer into the workforce. And so then after 40 years, they become productive and they're only productive for 20 years because then 60, they get to retire in certain countries, right? So it's like, okay, so how can I, but you could extend it easily. Now our life expectancy is to 90. Why don't we work to 70 or 80? And then we get better productivity out of it. And maybe they don't even want to stop, right? I mean, when their biological yeah. clock doesn't work anymore and they fall asleep when they're on the podium giving a speech, maybe that's not the best, best sort of, um, you know, argument for <laughs> um, staying in, in, in work. And maybe then it's time to sort of, you know, let others take control. But um, yeah, I think it's just, there's so much wrong in in the world today and and the key thing is to stay young stay learning and keep active at it and we need to teach the generation how to stay abreast with what's going on right how do you stay attuned with how do you keep up to date where do you go to learn how do you learn but social media helps us doing that right how do you select the right social media to then help you go forward and, and and see this is something that i gives me multiple sources of ideas and opinions that I can then process and digest with my own flavor on top. I think it, it all goes back to uh, like a few very simple axioms. One is first principle thinking. Like yeah. do not inherit the thinking of others. Just think for yourself. Ultimately. Yeah. Think what it is that we're trying to do. What is the role of government? What is the role of private enterprise? What is the role of money? Like how all these things fit together? You have to reason out for yourself. Yeah. You have to be deliberate about your thinking. You just can't sort of absorb by osmosis everybody else's thinking. And you have to decide what it is that you want to do. Yeah. And agency is very, very important. Yeah. If you live a life in which you like essentially delegate all moral, uh, res- moral and intellectual responsibility to others, then you cannot complain about the consequences. Yeah. The second you take agency of that and you realize that the, that the majority of outcomes are probably up to you, all of a sudden, your perspective on life looks very different. 
Yeah. And you will be very protective yeah. of that life or of that existence and from people infringing upon it, unrightfully so, because you know how hard it is uh, to prosper, but you have a system in order to get there. But the second you say, well, life just happens to me, then you are no longer protective of that existence and you get the, the situation which we have today. Yeah. A bit, bit of a somber note, I suppose. Yeah, no, but it's true, right? I mean, it, it's, it's like... And, and I come back, come back to your point that you mentioned earlier, right? So it needs to come from the people, right? From the ground up. They need to sort of say, I need want to take more responsibility around this. And unfortunately, it only happens when it gets to a point where I can't afford the food on the table anymore. I can't afford to get to the work to pay me the amount of money that I need in order to put the food on the table, right? All of those elements start colliding and then you get the revolt, revolution or you know, and ultimately it's not silent anymore. It becomes violent. Right. And, and I think, yeah. And, and so where's that going to go and how's that going to pan out? How are we going to evolve? I think we're still far away. I mean, it depends which countries you're in, but you know, most Western countries, I think we're still pretty far away from, from that stage or state, but yeah, we'll see. And for, unfortunately it means that, that, that people have to suffer and, and misery continues. Yeah. Um, and I would have, I, I would hope that we could live in a world in which you could just, uh, you know, snap, snap your fingers and, and things would change, but unfortunately it's not the world we live in. Where's my robot, yeah. man? Come on. <laughs> no, you need uh, ge generation, essentially generational thinking has to, has to, or, or these paradigms, they, they essentially they die when those and their proponents die. So you're like, if you look at the march of like a march of scientific progress, it has been mostly by not because of the generation of new ideas, but rather the, the death of the proponents of old ideas. Yeah. Where exactly. the new ideas that they, when they came out, they were sitting there as contenders amongst yeah. many other ideas, much of them very poor, but the proponents of these poor ideas, once they sort of, once they sort of became, you know, part of history, the new entrants, when select, when you know, in a way that's relatively unbiased, when exposed to a set of different ideas, typically the one that is closer to reality is the one that attracts the untrained or the unaccustomed mind, because it's just the way things are. And uh, so it's really like like scientific progress has mostly been people with bad ideas, just not not essential, you know, in the same way that that, that adaptation through evolution is the propagation of the finer uh, characteristics. This, the scientific progress has been the propagation of the finer ideas through the uh, annihilation of uh, worse ideas and not necessarily through the brilliance of the better ideas. And if you look, we always look back in time and do sort of Monday morning uh, uh, quarterbacking of uh, or trying like retroactively explaining how the like the march of you know progress was in, in terms of scientific yeah. thinking. But if you were there at the time, you'll realize the majority of ideas that today are absolutely obvious were at the time extremely contentious and were generally yeah. never believed at the yeah. time. Yeah. Almost never yeah. was there a person, there are very few people in history, including the, uh, the great men and women of science, so, so, so Isaac Newton, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Marie Curie, yeah. Albert Einstein, yeah. all of their ideas were extraordinarily controversial. Nicholas Copernicus, Galileo, yeah. all of these ideas were extremely contentious during their lifetimes. And only hundreds of years later did we, you know, build uh, uh, for them statues of gold and silver uh, to commemorate these brilliant ideas. But at the time, um, nobody thought that way. Yeah, no. I think on that note, you know, I think we're we're in a stage where sixty-five trillion dollars worth of wealth is going to generate shift in generations, um, and and so on that note, right? So this new generation has the opportunity to create statues for themselves. They're going to be highly controversial, and and you know, sort of entrepreneurs are going to come out of this, and it's a, you know, sort of. I like to sort of think this is the best time to be alive. You know, we're super excited. That's why we called this show super excited. Um, and, and I do think that there are a lot of opportunities despite all the controversy and despite all the challenges that we have, how, and, and anyway, it's, it's just, it's just becoming easier because it's so much more blatant, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the way to look at it in a positive aspect, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 
No, thank you, Omar. I'm gonna, uh, you know, sort of, we've come close to sort of a bit more than an hour and, and yeah, always super fascinating. A lot of insights, a lot of, um, yeah, interesting facts and figures and ideas and concepts. So, <laughs> um, and experiences, right? I mean, ultimately yeah. it's, it's experiences. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure as always. I yeah. look forward to our next call. Most of our calls aren't recorded, but I can assure <laughs> the audience they're very much the same. Same as this, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Omar. Super good. My pleasure. Super exciting. Thank you. Bye-bye. This was Stefan Roost and Omar Yahia. You can follow Omar at O-X-O-M-A-R-Y-E-H-I-A and C-Squares Ventures at C-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-V-C. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at srust99, that's S-R-U-S-T-99. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.